Well, good morning. Happy Sabbath. I hope you're all well this morning. If you are a first-time guest here, I want to welcome you to Avondale Memorial Church. You've come on a good day because today we are celebrating creation and God's wonderful work. If this is your uh, second or third time, if you're a returning guest, we're glad that you have chosen to join us again and worship with us today. And if you're a member, well, it's always good to see you. We love you and we're glad that you're here. Uh, This is part of the service where uh, I get to open up God's Word and and, um, I get to share with you some some thoughts, uh, a message that I believe God has placed on my heart for this week. So I'm very excited about this message and uh, very glad that you could be here today. Will you take a moment to bow with me as we pray? Father, we want to thank you for life. We want to thank you for creation. We want to thank you that you've gifted us all differently. Some are able to lead in worship. Some are able to lead in other ways. Father, as we lead in our own unique giftedness, we pray that you continue to lead us and guide us and bless us. And as I open up your word this morning, Father, we take hold of the promise where two or more are gathered that you are there in the midst of them. So be present, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Speak to us today. May the words that are shared inspire, challenge and draw us closer to you. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. On the western exterior wall of the old Briar Hall of the former Chemistry and Geology building at Wheaton College, the words of Genesis 1-1 were inscribed. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. On February 5, 1971, Apollo 14 commander Edgar Mitchell deposited on the moon a microfilm packet containing a complete Bible and one verse of the Bible written in 16 languages. The words of that verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. After a lifetime of study and synthesis, a distinguished scientist philosopher asserted that the four fundamental determinations of physics are time, space, substance and causality. Those four basic concepts are found in one verse. In the beginning, time... God created causality, the heavens, space, and the earth, substance. One could scarcely think of a more suitable way to begin the Bible than with those majestic words. It sounds so simple, yet behind them lurk many of the ultimate questions of philosophy, theology and science. This statement opens the door to many questions that fill us with curiosity and have led to controversy. 
Yet the Bible account is simple. At the creative command of God, the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them appeared instantly. A mere six days saw the change from without form and void to a lush planet teeming with all types of creatures and vegetation. Our planet, as it came from the Creator's hand, was adorned with all types of colours, shapes and fragrances, combined with superb taste and exactness of detail and function so as to supply the needs of all of creation. Then God rested, stopping to celebrate, to enjoy, to fellowship. His interest in and care for us is emphasised by his creation of the Sabbath as a monument of rest and an opportunity for uninterrupted communion between Creator and creation. Forever, the beauty and majesty of those six days would be remembered because of his stopping. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. These words teach us that God is the creator of all that exists and that he brought the universe into being at a time so long ago that it staggers the imagination. No one knows for certain when the beginning was and the Old Testament is far more interested in the fact of creation than in the time of creation. Genesis 1 records that the earth was shrouded with water and darkness and on that first day, God separated the light from darkness, calling the light day and the darkness night. It was good. On day two, God divided the waters, separating the atmosphere from the water clinging to the earth, making conditions suitable for life. It was good. On the third day, God gathered the waters together into one place, establishing land and sea. Then God clothed the naked shores, hills and valleys. The land produced vegetation, plant bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kind. It was good. On the fourth day, God established the sun, moon and stars for signs and seasons and for days and years. The sun was to govern the day, the moon, the night. And it was good. God created the birds and marine life on the fifth day. He created them according to their kind, an indication that the creatures he fashioned would consistently reproduce after their own kinds. It was good. On the sixth day, God made the rest of the animal kingdom. He said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was good. By the word of the Lord, the psalmist wrote, 
The heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. That's Psalm 33, 6. The words of Genesis repeating the pattern, God said and it was so, God said and it was so, God said and it was so, introduce the dynamic divine command responsible for the majestic events of those six days of creation and teach us that God's word is reliable. When he speaks, things happen. Each command came charged with a creative energy that transformed the planet without form and void and covered in darkness into a paradise. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Then, as the crowning act of creation, God made man in his own image, In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Then God saw everything he had created and indeed it was very good. Humanity was different. God didn't simply speak us into existence like the rest of creation. No. He took the time to form us from the dust of the earth with his own hands and to come down to us, breathing in us the breath of life. The cosmos functions as it was designed to function and it was good. Humanity is portrayed as the pinnacle of creation, endowed with dignity as those made in the image of the creator. And it was very good. We are made in order to serve God, not as slaves, but as partners to whom he delegates to do his work. We enjoy his favour. To this day, the just and the unjust enjoy his favour. And he provides what we need. Being made in the image of God refers not only to what we are, but also to what we do, we represent God on earth. We have been given authority to rule over and care for all of creation. God entrusts us with responsibility and implants in us a certain potential, namely the capacity to mirror our Creator. We are given the opportunity and freedom to demonstrate love and loyalty to our Creator and others. We have the power of choice, the freedom to think and act according to moral imperatives. Thus, we are free to love and obey or to distrust and disobey. God took a risk in giving us free will. But only with the freedom to choose could we develop a character that would fully display the principle of love love that is the essence of God himself. Our destiny was to reach the highest expression of the image of God, to love God with all our heart, soul and mind and to love others as ourselves. To develop our unique gifts and talents and use them uniquely, creatively, 
in reflecting Christ and building his kingdom. Though all humans possess these God-like capacities, each of us has the potential to express them distinctively because God's image has been implanted uniquely on each of us. In God's infinite creativity, there are no duplicates. You are the only you there has ever been or ever will be. In the beginning. The Gospel of John in the New Testament starts with the same three words as does the Bible, in the beginning. The first ten verses of John's Gospel stress the activity of Jesus in creation. Not only the Redeemer of the world, the Lord Jesus is also the Creator. As John puts it, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word, that's Jesus, was God. And Paul in his letter to the Colossians writes, For by Him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He, Jesus, is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Although our finite minds struggle to completely understand such matters as the Godhead, the first verse of Genesis itself provides us with a helpful clue. It tells us that God created. The noun God is plural in the Hebrew, but the verb created is singular. And further study clearly teaches that God is one and at the same time teaches that God exists as three co-equal, co-eternal beings. And it is clear that all three were present in the creation at the beginning. God made everything with one exception, himself. Everything else has had a beginning, but he has always been. There has never been a time when he has not been, and no conditions whatsoever are placed on his existence. The God who made the world and everything in it is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. That's Acts 17, 24 and 25. Although we are totally dependent on Him for every breath we take, He is absolutely independent of the universe He created. But the world was not always as it is today. Something went wrong. Sin entered the world and as a result, death followed. The chaos of sin and the struggle to survive were not part of the original picture. God's initial work dispelled the chaos and brought everything into perfect order and equilibrium. 
But the entrance of sin in this world reversed the initial creation order and created disorder affecting humanity and all of creation. Further disorder becomes evident in chapter 4 of Genesis when Adam and Eve's family is torn apart by the first human death when Cain murders his brother Abel. And here in chapter 4 verse 9 we discover humanity's first question to God. God seeks Cain and asks him where his brother is and Cain responds with the question, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? How tragic that our first question to God is a denial of responsibility. After that, humanity becomes more depraved and sinks further into sin. The creation account was intended to encourage us about who we are and where we came from and its emphasis is oriented towards life rather than death. As Isaiah 45:18 comments, God did not create the earth to be empty but formed it to be inhabited. So it is somewhat ironic that the book of Genesis itself, which begins with a fragrance of life, with that majestic statement, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, ends with a sentence that reeks with the smell of death. In Genesis 50 verse 26, So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him. And he was put in a coffin in Egypt. But God is not distant or inaccessible. But God is not distant or inaccessible. The corruption of the cosmos that plays humanity does not testify to his inability to harness chaos or to any inadequacy in his personal power. God demonstrates his grace that instead of resolving the conflict, the chaos of sin through judgment and destruction, he instead chooses a path of reconciliation and restoration. Sin allowed God to reveal grace, love and justice in a way never before seen by the universe. And he did it in the most unimaginable way. Into this world, Jesus, our eternal creator God, came to give his life for the sins of the world. He did this because we would have otherwise been eternally lost. Tragically, every human that is born in this earth after sin is no longer born in the image of God. Genesis 5 verses 1 to 3 describes it this way. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them 
in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness. In his image. And he named him Seth. We enter the earth bearing the image of our parents and the destructive effects of sin. That's why Jesus said, we must be born again. But there was one, however, Jesus, who was born in the image of his Father in heaven. His mother was Mary, but he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.15 says, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 4, it writes, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom... He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Through him, we are reborn, recreated in his image. The word of God present at creation is also central in recreation. For the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the God of recreation just as much as he is the God of creation because he took upon himself humanity not for a while but for eternity. He was tempted as we are yet he did not sin. Jesus is able to recreate us because he has destroyed him who had the power of death that is the devil and released us from fear and bondage. Jesus is able to recreate us because he lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf and to send the Holy Spirit to change, equip and empower us for ministry. Jesus is able to recreate us because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author of our salvation, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, the bread of life, the light of the world, the adored of the angels, the anointed one, the bright and morning star, the beloved of heaven, our bridegroom. Jesus is able to recreate us because he is the captain of the Lord's host, 
the child of Bethlehem, the Christ of God, the commander of the angels of heaven, our creator, the conqueror of the grave, our deliverer, the divine one, the desire of all nations, the door to salvation. Jesus is able to recreate us because he is the exalted one, the everlasting father, the firstborn of heaven, the friend of sinners, the gift of God, our heart searcher and healer, the helper of all who call out to him. He is Emmanuel, God with us, the lion and the lamb, the living saviour, the Lord of life and glory. Jesus is able to recreate us because he is the majesty of heaven, the man of sorrows, master and lord, teacher and friend, minister of the true tabernacle, our burden bearer our substitute and surety, our priest, the prince of heaven, prophet and rock. Jesus is able to recreate us because he is the sanctifier, the saviour of the world, Shiloh the peace giver, the sinless one, son of David and son of man, our brother, substitute and sin bearer, the son of righteousness, the mighty God, the true vine, the wonderful counsellor, the world's rightful king, the true sacrifice victim and the world's redeemer. Is there anything he cannot do? In the beginning, the earth was without form and void. Chaotic, dark and empty and after six days Jesus brought it to a place of order, fullness, light, beauty, purpose and peace. And he can do the same with your life, with my life. He can do the same with your world and with my world. No matter how chaotic chaotic or dark or empty your life may be, if you give Jesus your world, he will recreate it. He will change it. He will bring it to a place of order, peace, perfection and purpose. All we have to do is give him our worlds every day. Together with Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Genesis forms a bracket that holds together the entire span of Scripture. Between paradise lost and paradise restored, the plan of salvation is developed, providing ever-increasing specifics of this plan and ultimately the manifestation of divine love and justice in the birth, life, death, resurrection and heavenly ministry of Jesus Christ. The first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2 and 3, are mirrors of the last three chapters of the Bible, Revelation 20, 21 and 22. In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates a perfect world with perfect humans who enjoy a perfect relationship with Him. 
In chapter 3, the serpent infiltrates the garden and sin and death enter the world. As a result, chaos, darkness and emptiness re-enter the world. And wherever there is sin, there is death, chaos, darkness and emptiness. In Revelation 20, the third last chapter of the Bible, the serpent known as the devil and Satan is finally destroyed and sin and death exit the world. In the final two chapters, God recreates the earth and returns it to paradise, a place of order, peace and beauty. Revelation 21 and 22 gives us a picture of God's future intent, what the world will be like once redemption has been fully completed with the consummation of the judgment of sin and the evil one. These six chapters, Genesis 1, 2 and 3 and Revelation 20, 21 and 22 form bookends for the entire Bible. Everything between these six chapters is the story of the redemptive work of God in a sinful and fallen world. It's the story of Jesus seeking to restore his image back in humanity, his image back in you and in me, his image in the church. And we have a promise there that God will restore to right relationship that which was broken. Our future is in the hands of one who loves us and wants what is best for us. The great controversy between good and evil will finally come to an end God will do all he says and his word is trustworthy and reliable because when he speaks, things happen. Ellen White describing heaven and eternity in the last chapter of the book, Great Controversy, in the final paragraphs, puts it this way. There... Immortal minds will contemplate with never-failing delights the wonders of creative power, the mysteries of redeeming love. There will be no cruel, deceiving foe to tempt to forgetfulness of God. Every faculty will be developed, every capacity increased. The acquirement of knowledge will not weary the mind or exhaust the energies. There'll be there the grandest enterprises may be carried forward, the loftiest aspirations reached, the highest ambitions realized, and still there will arise new heights to surmount, new wonders to admire, new truths to comprehend, fresh objects to call forth the powers of mind and soul and body. All the treasures of the universe will be open to the study of God's redeemed. And the years of eternity, 
as they roll will bring richer and still more glorious revelations of God and of Christ. As knowledge is progressive, so will love, reverence and happiness increase. The more men learn of God, the greater will be their admiration of his character. The great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats throughout the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that God is love. My question to you is what's holding you back from giving him your world and trusting him today? God bless you.